Welcome to the MakerMag podcast, where we interview prolific people on the maker scene and get their insights on maker culture, working and fundraising. This month's guest is Tyler Tringast, founder of Earnest Capital. Earnest Capital makes seed stage investments in bootstrappers, makers and real businesses with a new investment structure designed to be founder friendly and support the specific needs of makers and bootstrappers. Before I continue, I would like to say that this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Blockstack, which is working hard on bringing fundamental digital rights to all. To read the stories of fellow makers working with Blockstack to build decentralized applications, go to blockstack.org slash makermag. That's blockstack.org slash makermag. So welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thanks for having me, James. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, before we um, start to discuss your work at Ernest, I'd love to start with a quick overview of your background as a maker and what inspired you to start Ernest Capital. Sure. Um, well, my background as a maker, I guess when I officially started to become a maker is a story that, that some people who live on the internet may be somewhat familiar with was when I started to uh, bootstrap a, um, a SaaS business called Store Mapper. Uh, it was a sort of store locator as a service that turned into um, what I kind of call like a, just a fairly successful internet small business. So uh, I, I bootstrapped it myself. I built the first minimum viable product on a flight. Uh, so it was 30 hours from writing the first lines of code to having the first customer. Uh, and then we grew it to a team of about five distributed people. Um, and, uh, and I sold that business in 2017 and, and blogged about it quite a bit, um, along the way, I uh, was really inspired by a lot of the, uh, folks leading the transparency movement, like, uh, buffer and bare metrics and so on. Um, and, uh, shared, you know, quite a bit of that, that journey, um, um, as we, as we, as I sort of went through it. Um, and then after sort of moving on from store mapper, which is still going strong, by the way, it's still, um, uh, was uh, acquired by a private equity shop called Shirts of Capital, and it still runs, and all the employees are still there, and I'm super excited about that. But but my journey sort of went a different direction, and I sort of just felt compelled to, um, you know, by my own experience, to to see if I could put together a, a form of sort of early stage capital to help you know bootstrappers and makers who I think um, all sort of share this. Um, the similar challenge very early on, you'd like to have just a, a bit of money to help extend your runway. Uh, and then also layering on top of that, uh, a lot of the good parts that um, the world of investing has brought in terms of building a, a shared community of other founders, as well as uh, connecting you to a bunch of mentors that are, you know, quite literally invested in in your success. And so we tried to see if we could bring some of the good parts of, of the venture world and just of investing in general um, into something that was sort of uh, maker friendly. So. Okay, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so what types of companies are you looking to invest in through Ernest? And do you focus on any specific verticals? Or are you really just interested in investing in any maker? Yeah, I would say, so for right now, um, I'm the, the main person leading all the investments at Ernest. And so there's definitely a heavy bias towards businesses that I understand well. So I lean heavily towards, um, you know, B2B software or um, kind of just uh, generally things that you might consider as SaaS that people sort of pay money for, hopefully on a recurring basis. Um, so those are the kind of businesses that I feel like I can really wrap my head around. Um, but in theory, you know, we're, we're interested to back all kinds of e-commerce, uh, education tutorials, 
Um, uh, I think we're looking at uh, marketplaces and membership sites, as well as all kinds of different software products. Um, and I would say our main constraints are, uh, or not constraints, but the, the, I guess the, the folks that really will feel aligned with what we're offering are, um, you know, the first one is that you have the kind of sort of bootstrapper ethos. So um, you're not necessarily kind of, uh, you know, on this, this business must be a unicorn or bust kind of trajectory. You're, you're perfectly uh, happy building a sort of uh, nice, profitable uh, business that's going to, you know, generate happy customers and happy employees. And, and that's going to be enough. Um, we're not opposed to very ambitious people. We're not anti-ambition. Um, we're, we're certainly happy to back people of, of, of sort of all forms of ambition, but um you know, it's generally if you feel like, hey, I wish there was sort of funding for bootstrappers, funding for makers, and I don't really feel like the, the VC world is, is sort of aligned with my goals. Um, that's that's kind of one category. Uh, and then the other thing that I've been sort of describing it as is, uh, you know, ironically, I guess, stealing from uh, from Paul Graham from Y Combinator, but we like to invest in companies that uh, are sort of default alive. So if your business model is such that, um, you know, you have a a way to sort of sell your product and you make money every time you sell that product and you have a, a clear trajectory to sort of being able to to run the business based off of your customer's revenue and you just need a little bit of, of capital to sort of get there, um, then, then that tends to be a good fit for our business as opposed to you know, if your business model requires that you're going to have to continue raising capital uh, for, for 10 years because you lose money on every customer, um, you know, then you're probably not going to be a, a fit for working with us. So you described there um, the fact that you're that you're looking for um, investments in essentially any vertical. Um, are you? Is there any specific stage that you invest in, or are you looking for just anybody who has a product to apply for earnest? Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about how to describe what we're looking for in terms of stage because you know I know a lot of times. Um, founders go and talk to investors and then they get told, you know, uh, you're too early or it's too risky and that's it. And I've been trying to sort of see if I can refine that into something that's a little bit more um, useful and, and actionable for, uh, for founders that are, um, you know, kind of want to work with us. And I'll say, I think for us to make an investment commitment, um, I, I need to see something in these three buckets. Uh, the first one is sort of, can you build it? Um, and that's just, you know, do you as a founder or as a team of founders, do you have the kind of internal resources to, to build the actual product that does what it says on the label? You know, it can be a sort of minimum viable product, but um, it just needs to be uh, a way that you can actually get the product live uh, with the, the people that you have. So um, as a sort of counterexample, sometimes people are looking for investment to build the product because maybe no, none of the founders can write code. And so they want to raise capital and then spend that money building the first version of the product. In general, we're looking for people who can already build the product. Um, the second one is, will people pay for it? So we're looking for some evidence that um, your target customers will actually pay for the product and specifically that they would sort of pay full price. So sometimes people come to us and, you know, they've run, a, they've got a freemium model, but they haven't actually rolled out the paid part. So they say, oh, you have 100,000 users uh, and we're going to do a freemium. And so, you know, 10% of those are going to convert to paid. That's a little bit too early for us. We want to actually see you know, that money changing hands, um, even if it's on a very small basis, um, but but actual evidence that you know, they will pay for it. Um, and then the last one is, can you find your customers, 
right? So um, sometimes people come to us and they have built a product, they've got paying customers, but it's just the first 15 customers are all their very good friends or people that came from one Slack community that they're a part of, and they really have no plan forward for how they're going to get more customers like that. Um, and so we do want to see some evidence that there is at least one way to get more customers. Um, and so we're comfortable investing quite early on. You don't have to have the whole business proven. You don't have to be breaking even, already generating a profit. But you do need kind of something in each of those three buckets to where we feel um, comfortable sort of investing uh, at that point. So perhaps your biggest differentiator from other um, investors is your new fundraising document, the shared earnings agreement. Um, could you t tell us a bit more about how that works in action and why it's better for makers than, say, a safe or other fundraising documents? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Although maybe I think I, I don't know if I'd agree that it's our biggest differentiator. I think probably the biggest differentiator, in my opinion, uh, would be the the collection of, of mentors um, that, that have, you know, decided to sort of throw their hat in with earnest. And um, they're both um, investors in the fund and mentors to the companies that we back. So they really have skin in the game and, and generate just a huge amount of value um, for the companies that that end up working with us. But um, I agree. Also, an, another point of differentiator, probably our second one, is the shared earnings agreement. Um, and the shared earnings agreement basically comes out of um, my sort of frustration with um, the, the existing sort of toolkit to align you know, a group of investors with folks who you know, might broadly call themselves you know, makers, indie hackers, bootstrappers, et cetera. Um, you know, basically, they, they want to sort of build a business at their own pace. Um, they're, they're much more sort of focused on uh, you know, sort of retaining customers and getting really good product market fit, maybe in a niche um, part of a part of the internet, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a sort of broad based high growth business, um, you know, where they're going to sort of run as fast as they can towards an exit or an IPO. Um, you know, if your your goal is to build the next, you know, base camp or wild bid or, you know, just a sort of profitable, healthy, awesome business, um, you know, if I've written you a check on a convertible note, you know, <laughs> 15 years later, I'm still sitting around waiting for, for some sort of return on investment. And so um, I wanted to sort of see if there was a way to create alignment between investors and founders who might want to go down this pathway without also closing down other options. So the shared earnings agreement is basically, you, know, you can broadly think about it as a modification of a profit share. So the idea is, um, you know, as a, as a founder uh, who's running a business, uh, you have this basic math, which is revenue comes in, then you have your expenses, all your employees, your hard costs, your server costs, et cetera. And the remainder of whatever's left over, you know, the founders can basically decide to pay themselves a, as a salary, to declare it as dividends, or to keep it in the business as retained earnings. And we basically say, you know, more or less all of that is a number called founder earnings, which is like the economic value coming out of the business, going to the founders. And we say, we're going to invest an upfront amount. As you generate with the business, these founder earnings, we'll take a, a percentage of that, just basically as if we were kind of a silent partner. Um, and we'll, we'll take that percentage uh, on a quarterly basis until we hit a capped multiple of our initial investment. Right. So, you know, round numbers, we might say we're going to put in one hundred thousand dollars and uh, we're going to take uh, 
you know, 25% of founder earnings until we get three or $400,000 back over time. And it's up to you as the founder to determine, you know, how long that takes to sort of pay us back. It's not debt. It doesn't have a repayment plan. It's totally a function of, you know, when you, the founder, decide to kind of take money out of the business, um, that's when we also get a, a sort of percentage of that. And then uh, we tried to make sure that we could keep all the options open for founders. So it also has a sort of convertible component where if you decide to sell the business or raise a big follow-on round of, of financing or you decide to go the venture route, we're not anti-VC. Some businesses need to go that route. Um, we just basically convert into equity and, and go along for the ride in, in the, the sale or the next round of funding. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we released uh, a sort of open source version of that back in October of last year. Uh, just put the term sheet on a Google Doc, left the comments open, put it up on uh, Indie Hackers, Twitter, uh, Hacker News, all those sort of places, and um, and ended up getting just hundreds and hundreds of, of comments from from founders, from makers, from active entrepreneurs, from former entrepreneurs, from investors, um, and and we're able to sort of refine it in public um, in a way that you know we feel like it's um, it's a, a pretty good fit for a, a big category of founders that didn't really feel like uh, funding of any sort was for them um, until they sort of saw the the product that we were putting out there. Yeah. Um... So you said back there um, that your mentorship network is a critical component of earnest capital. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about how the mentorship program structured and how those relationships develop over time uh, between makers and mentors? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it, it's definitely the area where we still have a lot to learn, um, you know, in the sense that um, we've... We've brought together this sort of, you know, really awesome group of folks who are very excited to be very helpful. Um, and then our approach has sort of been to just kind of turn it into uh, an, an all-you-can-eat buffet of sorts. Um, so we said, look, we're going to put together a ton of resources, both, you know, sort of access to these various mentors, um, as well as kind of building um you know, connections to communities and companies and partners um, that, you know, are sort of all here for you as the founder to sort of try to help um, solve problems for you or, or accelerate your business. Um, but we're really going to leave it up to you as the founder to tell us what it is that you need. Um, and a sort of key component of that is um, our head of platform, uh, Ben Tossel, who um, sort of, you know, has a, a dual role between running Maker Mag and also uh, running our, our platform community here uh, at Ernest, who was, I know, on the show earlier. Um, he's awesome. And it, one of his main jobs is basically just checking in with all the founders on a super regular basis saying, you know, okay, what do you need help with? What are your sort of blocking points? And then trying to loop in, you know, the appropriate um, mentor at the right time. Uh, and we're kind of just going to let it evolve a bit organically to see, you know, how the relationships between um, founders and mentors develops over time. You know, we have a, a pretty active Slack community right now with a lot of just really fun, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, ad hoc uh, problem solving going on. So, I mean, it was amazing the other day, uh, one founder was jumping in just sort of in the general channel saying, hey, you know, I'm really stuck, um, you know, trying to do an integration with this, um, uh, I'll just say like feature at a, a very, very big company. Um, and, 
and then another mentor just hopped in and said, hey, I actually lead the engineering team building that feature. Um, so maybe I can help you with your integration. And lo and behold, you know, they, they sorted it out pretty quickly. Um, and there's a lot of just kind of uh, serendipitous interactions like that. Um, and over time, we're starting to build in more structure, mostly based around um, listening to what founders tell us they need. Um, we sort of decided to consciously be somewhat non-prescriptive about it. So we, we, we sat down and had a really deep discussion when we were first planning the, the, the program about, you know, should we have this be a really structured accelerator program where, you know, it's okay, it's every Wednesday, we have a lesson on, you know, how to do Facebook ads and, and how to do, you know, conversion funnel optimization and stuff like that. And um, we wanted to, I don't know, just be a little bit more responsive to what founders told us that they actually need. Um, and so, so that's been our approach so far and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So what have you learned, um, over the last few months since you, since you've started to make investments in companies, um, as you've mentioned on your blog, you've invested in a few companies now. So what have been your main takeaways and how has actually investing in companies influenced your work at Ernest? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, one of the things we've obviously learned, which is you know, a bit of a leap of faith is just how much demand is there out there for for this i mean we you know at, at the end of the day you you uh put together your your deck which is your sort of hypothesis saying hey you know we think there's a bunch of founders out there that are you know right at this sweet spot that maybe they're they're bootstrapping right now but they really could use some capital and they'd be really interested in what we're offering but uh you don't really know until you go live and see what happens and um fortunately we've been you know pretty blown away by the amount of demand. Um, I think uh, I personally have been, um, I mean, overwhelmed is not the right word, but um, I used to be the kind of person who was very, very good at uh, inbox zero and responding to all of my emails and had, you know, really good systems in place for all of my correspondence. And those have all sort of collapsed under the strain of, <laughs> of, of just thousands and thousands of emails and referrals and, and inbound. Um, so I think we've learned that there's a real big need for this. And, and I'm really happy about that. I mean, I think one of the things we're starting to see is, um, other folks also trying to get into this space in terms of trying to build a sort of, um, you know, earnest for X, uh, looking at specific verticals or uh, specific locations. And, and I'm really excited about that because I think that, the, you know, it's a real sort of blue ocean situation where there's just vastly more demand for this from um, from founders of all sorts uh, than, than, you know, any one or even a, a small number of funds uh, can, can sort of possibly support. So we've learned a lot about that. I think I've also learned that there's interest f sort of further along in a business's life cycle. Um, so, you know, we're, we're getting interest and, and making investments in companies that are, I would say, later stage uh, than we thought would be a good fit for us. It turns out that, you know, even once you're a sort of team of six, seven, even 10 people, um, you know, there's still a real problem if you're, if you're not willing to go, you know, knocking on VCs doors, um, you know, how do you sort of not just, you know, get capital to sort of fund your runway as a founder, which is something that, you know, which is, I would consider our sort of, our sort of main thesis is, you know, the founders just need time and we're basically investing for them to, to stay working full-time on their project. But even much later stage, there's still a lot of interest for people who want to make their first couple of hires, uh, first full-time hires, or um, to sort of start investing in growth. Um, they're also quite interested in, in what we're doing. So um, we're seeing that our first sort of, you know, 
12 or so companies, um, they're going to be a lot more diverse in terms of how far along they are than I think I would have expected uh, going into this. So could you tell us more about Earnest Radar, how it works, and why makers should be interested in this new product you're developing? Yeah, Earnest Radar is, uh, candidly, it's an experiment, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what it should be. So, you know, if, if you've got some advice for what we should do with Radar, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Um, so it's, uh, I would say it's just a response. I mean, our, our MO here has been to listen to what folks want and to try to provide that. Um, I fundamentally view, you know, building a fund as a service business that's there to, to serve the makers and founders that, um, that you know, that are, that are that want to be a part of what, what we're trying to do. And, um, and so what happened was, I think, uh, like, in earlier on, I, I mentioned some of those buckets that we sort of need to see before we can make an investment commitment. And but we, we'd really rather start the conversation with folks earlier on before they're, you know, quote unquote, sort of ready for investment. Um, and we got a lot of inbound from folks that said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. I don't think it's ready uh, to raise capital, but, you know, I'd love to get feedback. I'd love to, you know, hear from some of the mentors um, and just generally uh, sort of, you know, get uh, help of, of, of a couple of different varieties, everything from product feedback to amplification to tips on how to get your first customers. Um, and Earnest Radar is just a sort of way for makers to um, just basically tell us what they're working on, uh, to send you know really short, simple updates on what's going on. And included in that, they can sort of ask us for uh, help. <laughs> and we'll just sort of do our best to marshal whatever resources we have to uh to sort of uh pitch in um i think it's really important for for us to invest in um to invest sort of time and energy in building out the community of makers um so that you know i, I think I, I sort of view it as uh a little bit the sort of uh the the pipeline for for companies we would eventually invest in is, is folks you know getting out there and um practicing is the wrong word, just building the, the muscle memory for um, shipping products, launching them, getting them out there, getting customers, getting feedback, um, you know, and just generally building stuff. Uh, and we want to be helpful with that. You know, obviously, it's a little bit self-interested in the sense of, you know, we hope that some of those eventually sort of start to hit a little bit of that escape velocity and, and those companies end up wanting to work with us. Um, but it's it's definitely not transactional in that kind of way. I mean, we're just trying to find a way for for us and for our mentor community to uh, to sort of get back to, to makers at the earlier stage um, and also to just sort of follow along with, with awesome stuff people are building. So what are your long-term goals for the future, Ernest? And how do you see the overall maker community helping you develop those goals in the future? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I view the problem that we're trying to solve here with Ernest as, as pretty substantial in the sense that, you know, I don't really think what we're trying to do is to build some sort of, you know, niche alternative to venture capital, as some people have sort of described um, what we're doing. I see this as a fundamental problem that uh, this sort of internet-based entrepreneurship, right, where you're you're building products that are, um, you know, software or they're basically just digital and they're online and your customer base is everywhere. Um, these are sort of amazing ways to um, to sort of 
to, to build, build and distribute products, but also an amazing sort of format of entrepreneurship and a way to build a business that allows you to sort of live life on your own terms. Um, but there's really no sort of capital that aligns with that, right? So if you think back to sort of a generation ago, most of the entrepreneurs would come up with an idea for a business. Maybe they were going to open a car dealership or you know, a local grocery store chain or something like that. Um, and they would go down to the bank and they would apply for a small business loan. And that would be the sort of thing that would, you know, catapult you into entrepreneurship. And uh, these days, if you're looking at all of these sort of internet-based businesses, I mean, they're great in a lot of ways. They're they're really efficient with their money. You know, they don't cost a lot to, to get up and running. You don't need to buy real estate. You don't need to buy inventory. Um, but at the same time, you really can't get a small business loan for it because there's no, there's no collateral, right? So banks like to lend you money and they say, okay, well, if your business fails, at least I can come and collect your, you know, your, your car and your inventory and your real estate, and I can get that as collateral. And a lot of these these sort of, um, you know, maker driven, you know, internet businesses, they have no collateral to speak of. So there's just no way for them to sort of get um, to sort of, you know, get any little kickstart. And so what you find is that it's, you know, really tends to be uh, by and large limited to people who are really young, single, have no financial dependence and can live super, super cheaply uh, while they sort of build things either on the side or, or full time living off their savings. Uh, or you have folks who, you know, move to, to, to Thailand or something so that they can, you know, stretch their savings even further while they uh, build these products. And, and that's great. I mean, I, I, I did that by and large, and, and I support that, that road for folks. Um, but uh, for a lot of people, um, that kind of a, of a trajectory just doesn't make sense because they're in a different point in their life or they have different responsibilities. Um, and we're trying to build a sort of default solution for folks who want to get into entrepreneurship but don't have the sort of um, you know savings or wealth to to be able to do it themselves. Um, and so you know ultimately like you know we're going to invest in in 30 companies um, in the first launch of Ernest and I, I'd love to get that to 300 and 3,000 and 30,000 companies a year at some point. Um, because I, you know, I really think there's a, a big need for this and this is an incredible entrepreneur, uh, opportunity for, um, for, for a lot of folks. Yeah. So why do you think that we're only now realizing this and starting to work with this new investment model? Why haven't uh, venture capitalists been exploring, uh, the whole shared earnings model since the eighties, um, when it was first popularized? Yeah. I mean, venture capital is a fairly sort of uh, arcane and unique way to fund companies, right? They're, you know, if you talk to the good venture capitalists, they'll tell you, you know, they're in the business of backing a sort of um, extreme outlier companies. And their model is very high risk, very high return, right? So, so almost all the companies they back are going to fail, but the ones that survive are going to be, you know, the sort of Ubers and Airbnbs and Stripes of the world. And they're going to generate a huge return if they do it right. Um, and, and that's their sort of model. And good venture capitalists will tell you that that is not a fit for the vast majority of companies and the vast majority of founders. Um, and, and they're very upfront about that. Like it's, it's not a fit for most people. Uh, and most companies and most founders should not even try to raise venture capital. Um, you know, and, and that's not really, uh, disputed when you sit down and, and talk to very smart VCs. Um, I think the problem is in part because of what I mentioned before, the fact that um, most forms of capital are not available to software businesses. So 
in particular, this problem of not having collateral. So you can't go to a bank and get a loan to get started in the way that you might, if you wanted to open a, a donut shop, um, you could probably just go to a bank and get a loan. Uh, you really can't if you want to build a software company or, or something on the internet. Um, and so what happened was because there were sort of no forms of capital available except for venture capital, they were the only game in town backing software companies, uh, we just kind of associated the two with each other. So you think, okay, I'm going to build a company. Um, it's going to be software and I need more money than I have. So I guess I should go raise venture capital. And and that's a sort of something that's just become part of the zeitgeist and a, a sort of default thinking that we have in the culture. And it's just, it's wrong, right? If, you, if you're in that position, you almost certainly should not raise venture capital unless you are planning to build an extremely risky outlier company. Um, you, you probably should not go down that road, but, but there wasn't any other option. So what happened was everybody <laughs> that was thinking about building something in software decided, well, I'm going to go raise VC, or if you don't like VC, you're going to bootstrap. And those were really your only two options. Um, and until now, no one had really even made a, a substantial effort to generate an alternative. Um, so I think it's just a, a function of the fact that, you know, software companies are becoming, I think, less risky to start. Um, if you're going to go and, and launch a, a sort of, uh, you know, B2B niche software as a service business, you've worked in this industry for 20 years, you know exactly what this customer base needs and you build software that, that helped your business succeed and now you want to go sell it to, to other businesses just like it. That's not a sort of moonshot, you know, definitely going to fail or become a billion dollar company kind of uh, kind of trajectory. You need something else. And and I think we're, we're just now entering a phase where, you know, yeah, like everybody says this sort of cliche software is eating the world. Okay. I think it's probably true. And I think software is eating entrepreneurship. Most of the good opportunities for entrepreneurs out there are sort of software or software enabled and they're not a fit for venture and they're not a fit for getting a small business loan. And so they need something else. I think that's a pretty good place to um, finish. Um, but before we conclude, um, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work at Ernest? Uh, I would say the, the best place to find me is uh, on Twitter. I'm at Tyler Tringus. Um, and then we're Ernest Capital. Uh, Ernest is E-A-R-N, like earn. Um, so we're ErnestCapital.com and I'm Tyler at ErnestCapital.com. And uh, that's where you can find me. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Maker Map podcast. Thanks so Tyler. much. This is great. If you want to listen to previous episodes of the Maker Mag podcast, you can do so at makermag.com. That is makermag.com. Thanks for tuning in.